disconnected from God. People who maybe haven't been to church in years, maybe people who are angry at God, people who uh, still still know he's there, but just aren't on speaking terms. In those cases, how do you pray? It's a little bit different. How do you pray when you have no faith that there is a God? How do you pray when you have no hope that your situation is going to get better or, or that the person that you're concerned about is going to continue to live beyond their illness? How do you pray when you have no money to pay your bills and you can't put food on the table? How do you pray in those situations? And even when you become a Christian or you're, you're, you're starting to go to church and you're, you're starting to dig into and explore uh, the various facets of what it means to be a believer, you might find yourself really questioning, well, I, I understand that there's a God and I understand that I'm a sinner and that I need his help in this world, but I still don't know how that happens. I don't know how that works. And naturally, I could spend a lot of time. I told Paige when I got home last night from studying that, uh, that I found about 43 Bible verses that I really wanted to incorporate today. But I knew that we'd be here way too long if that was the case. Only two songs? Well, the problem is, is that with every Bible verse, you want to reflect on it a little bit. So it's not just, okay, we're going to read 43 Bible verses and send you home. It's like, okay, now after this one, let me tell you what that one means and what that one, how that one applies. But I want to make a couple things very clear before we get into this, because this is how it starts right there in verse, I don't have my glasses on, verse 9. This is how you should pray. Remember, this is what the disciples asked. How do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And so this is what he says. This is how it needs to be done. Now, again, as a, as a side note, a lot of faith groups have taken this to believe that this is the actual prayer that you must pray. And every week in their worship services, they will regurgitate this because they believe this is what Jesus instructed. This is how you should pray, and they recite these words. I'm not bashing that. I'm just saying that's fine for them, but I don't think that's really the intent of what Jesus had in mind. I think the... the the background information to this, the the attitude behind this, the expectation is what guides this particular prayer. Now understand that in Revelation 5.8 and in Revelation 8.3, the two verses kind of go together really well. It's an interesting concept. It actually says this, that God values your prayers so much. His love for you is so intense and so incredible that when you pray, it's like an incense in his nostrils. And he actually collects it in bowls of gold and he puts them on his altar in heaven. That's how he values your prayers. All right? Now, now immediately to me, I start thinking about this. God really does love my prayers. He values them. They're, they're a, a, an aromatic aroma to him or aromatic blessing, whatever. Um, and then I start thinking... Is it every prayer that I pray that is a pleasing aroma to him? How about the times I'm angry? How about the times I'm blaming him for my life going awry? How about the times when I'm yelling at him because he didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted it to be answered? Are those still aromatic to him? Or how about the times that they're very selfish, very self-centered? Lord, please help me to get approved for this car loan. Help me, Lord, to get this girl to be my wife, you know. 
we have a lot of selfish prayers, but this, does this imply that every prayer to him is aromatic and pleasing to him? It sure doesn't seem to discriminate, does it? Every prayer is pleasing to him. Because the alternative is you don't talk to him at all. We also need to understand what Romans 8, 26 and 27 says. This is a really neat passage. Um, Romans 8, 26 and 27. I have it printed out here, but I, I just want to read it to you out of here so you know I'm not making it up. Um, wrong page again. So in 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Bless you. So God knows us. He knows our intimate details. He knows our hearts. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows that the Holy Spirit can assist us in this process. He's given us the comforter. You know, when Jesus left, I will send a comforter for you that will help you in this process. So the comforter is here among us. And when we pray, the comforter comes inside of us and intercedes for us. And even if you don't know what to pray for or how to pray or in the right spirit or right attitude, let the Holy Spirit do it for you. Because it will do a search through your heart and your mind and it will, it will communicate back to the Father exactly what's going on with you. There is no prayer that we've ever prayed that has caught God off guard to where he would say, oh, I did not know that. There's never been a time in heaven where God says, oh, I'll bet you didn't meant to, you didn't mean to say that. You know, there's never a time he knows our prayers, he knows our concerns, he knows our needs before we ever utter them to him, which provokes a very important question for all of us in our, in our seeking of how to be a perfect prayer or at least an effective prayer. And that question is, um, I just lost it. We'll chalk that one up for medication. Um, but the prayer is, um, <clears throat> I just completely lost my train of thought. Do we pray? with the expectation that we're going to communicate to God what our needs are? Is that why we pray? When we pray, is it really the purpose to give him a shopping list of our needs and our concerns and our agenda? If he already knows all of those things? No, the the, the thing about prayer is it's not about us at all. I mean, it's not about God at all. It's not about letting him know what our problems are. It's always about us. We pray to him for our benefit. We pray to him so that we can get clarity of the stuff that's muddled in our heads. We pray so that the stuff in our heart will be become manifest in our own understanding. The, the Holy Spirit intercedes, but God already knows what we're struggling with. He already knows the answer. So by us praying to him, he says, then let me help you with this. Let me give you clarity on this. Let, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit intercede. Help the Holy Spirit interpret your groans and then spit it back into your brain so that you can understand what this is all about, what's going on in your life. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what an adequate uh, example is, but you know, we'll say, we'll say it's, a, it's a person who just had their heart broken 
by a girl or a guy and they're so upset because they have invested so much into this person and they're praying to God, God, please help me. I hurt. My heart is broken. I can't quit crying. I don't feel like eating. My spirit is, is all twisted in knots. I don't know why this happened. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know where I messed up. I don't know what's going on in my life. And so God knows all this. He's listening to it. And yet he sends the Holy Spirit to you to kind of help uh, calm down those exposed nerves and kind of bring some kind of a, a salve to your pain. And, and he softens it. And then he comes around with his presence and he, he just nurtures you in that situation. And, and, and it's almost like he's saying... When you're ready, I'll give you an answer to this. But right now, while you're hurting, now's not the time. So let me just comfort you. Let me just give you some peace. And we'll get to that in a minute. God's pretty amazing. The the depth of his love for us and the involvement in our lives and in our prayer lives. When we don't pray, we're not hurting God. We're hurting ourselves. Because when we don't pray, we're not finding the answers to our problems. We're not, we're not reaching maturity. We're not understanding what the needs are around us. We're just so wrapped up in our own lives and our own agenda that we're no good to anybody but the devil. And we haven't even gotten into the outline yet. Another important part is this. It says that we should never forget. I wrote this. Uh, I didn't read this. I'm just right. Uh, never mind. I'm really not feeling well. We should never forget one very fundamental aspect of our prayer lives. Matthew twenty-one thirteen, Jesus taught the disciples this, and he said he was he was quoting uh, Isaiah and he was quoting Jeremiah, and I think there's a third one, maybe Deuteronomy. When he says this, it is written that my house, my father's house, shall be a house of prayer. So this is always the underlying current is prayer is what we are all about. That is what when we come together, prayer should be the foundation that we worship on. It's the foundation we give upon. It's the foundation that we interact with others upon. Prayer is everything. And this should be a house of prayer above all else. Notice how he doesn't say this should be a house of music, a house of worship. He doesn't say this should be a house of of, of uh, baptisms or our house of sacrifice, sacrificial giving uh, on the offering table. Uh, he doesn't say those things. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer because out of prayer, all those other things come. Now, also, when we get into this, we need to understand that when it comes to how we should pray, uh, we have to continue to pray through the filter of this particular model prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the filter. This is the expectation that our prayers go through in order to reach heaven. And so we have to keep this stuff in mind. You see, what this does is this filters out the inappropriate prayers, the selfish prayers, the ineffective prayers. If we would just pray with this model in mind, Praying for others, for their forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. All of this is for the glory of the Father. And the best way to glorify the Father is by being in a right relationship with Him. So our prayers, if you really want to know how to pray, pray in such a way that you grab a hold of heaven and you hold on to it for dear life as if you are never, ever going to let go. That's how you should pray. With that said, I wanted to shift over to Matthew 7 for a couple verses. 
This really is the outline that came into my mind when I first started contemplating the how of prayer. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. So that three-point outline is what I want to focus on. There is a certain element of asking in our prayer lives. There's a certain element of seeking in our prayer lives. And there should be a certain element of knocking in our prayer lives. In all these particular verbs, these are all... um, I'm trying to remember the actual literature or English version of this. It's, um, It's imperative and it's ongoing, uh, which would be present tense, right? Present tense, imperative is the mood. So what this basically means is this, keep on asking, or go on asking in your prayer life. Go on asking, just keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, until you receive. The same is true. Keep on seeking, keep on seeking, keep on seeking until you find. Keep on knocking, keep on knocking until that door is open. This is the format by which we get into our, our real prayers. In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, it tells us that we should, basically implies that we should always pray. Always pray. Fervently, with intensity, and persistency. Persistently. Whichever. Fervently means that there's a passion in your prayer. There is an intense passion inside of you that when you pray, this stuff is just coming out and there's, there's not, there's not just words. This is not just something you read in a book somewhere. This is stuff that is coming out of your heart and out of your experience and out of your pain. And this is the stuff that you're grabbing a hold of in heaven and you're being very intense and you're persistently coming to the Father to share these things with Him. Now, I know this is going to sound bad and this is probably going to hurt somebody's feelings. But I still feel like I'm supposed to say this. When I was in here praying last night, this popped in my head and I said, Lord, they're going to hate me if I say this. And the Lord just said, say it. There's a lot of faith groups and there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians, who thrive on praying written prayers. Now, that's not so much a bad thing, except that those prayers were written by someone else's pain and someone else's suffering and someone else's experience. That would be like me calling up Paige, you know, one day when I really want to talk to her and and I share my heart with her. And instead of me actually just speaking from my heart, um, somebody I work with gives me some suggestions, writes down some notes and says, well, just tell her these things. Good idea. And so, Paige, um, I think uh, you need to improve on your cooking, and I think you need to spend more time uh, shopping so that you're not at home, you know, whatever it is. And, and she's going to be like, <laughs> she, she's just going to look at me like, where's this coming from? Well, it's coming from, from this mentor of mine over here. Uh, But do you see what I'm saying? So when we are really, I mean, think about this. We're supposed to pray fervently with passion and persistence and and with, with excitement and with desperation upon God. And we're supposed to reach out to him and hold on to him with this loving embrace. And at that moment, do you really want to quote the words that someone else wrote? I, I don't understand that part. I've always written my own, even when I was a Methodist, and that's a very structured faith where a lot of the pastors do read sermons or prayers that are out of books. 
and, and I've done it before, but it just didn't connect with me. And so I would just write my own. And there's been times that, you know, when I journal, I write my own prayers a lot of times. Some of you say, well, I'm trying to journal, but I really don't know what to journal. Journal some prayers. You know, just honor God and just pour out your heart to him in a prayer. Write it down. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, always keep on praying. Luke 18.1 says, do not give up when you pray. Do not give up. So this puts it into perspective here. Uh, what if you have a spouse or child or someone who doesn't go to church, they're not living the life that you want them to live, and you've been praying for them for 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. What should you do then? You keep praying. You don't stop. You just don't stop. You know, uh, the persistence component is very important because it conveys how relevant something is to you or how, how important it is to you. You know, uh, there have been times, uh, well, I remember this one time we were, Jordan was real little and we were at a parade, uh, just she and I. No one else in family could go. It was just she and I. We're sitting on a, it was a Christmas parade. So we're sitting on the side of the street. We're freezing cold. And somebody walks by with some balloons of E.T. or something. I don't remember what the character was. Maybe it was the Grinch. But she says real quietly, she said, Daddy, can I have one of those? And I said, no, I don't think so, honey. And she says, okay. And she never mentioned it again. Did she really, really want it? You know, I, I don't think so. She didn't, she gave up on it pretty quickly. But if she were to say, Daddy, those are so impressive. I really want one. Dad, those are so cool. I really, really wish I could have one. I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal with you, you know, something like that. No deals. She just said, okay. But we pray and we pray, okay, so we'll say, okay, everybody pray, everybody pray for my ankle and because it hurts so bad. And so you all pray and, and then I mean, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just saying, you never pray for it again. Does that really mean that you wanted it to happen? Did you really, really want it to get fixed? I'm just using that as an example. But in Luke 18.1, it implies we should never give up on our prayers. So we ask. We keep on asking until we receive because the Bible says if we ask, we will receive. Now, there's a few verses I want to share with us. You might want to jot these down. In John 16, 24, it says, Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So when you ask, do you say, In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that I will be healed of this illness. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that these demons will flee from me and leave me alone. In the name of Jesus, I pray that this temptation will evaporate from me and not lead me down the wrong path. Or do you just pray, boy, Lord, I sure hope that thing leaves me alone. Matthew twenty-one twenty-two says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you believe it. I wonder how many prayers go up to heaven that are not supported by faith. The people pray it just because, you know, when I was doing chaplaincy work in the hospital, we were taught this is an ethical uh, chaplain thing to do. You ask the person, how do you want me to pray for you? 
And in some situations, you'll go in when the person has uh, been coded and they're terminal. They're like they're getting ready to, to make a decision and unplug or not plug, whatever it is. And in those cases, you'll go in there and say, okay, I'm sure you want me to pray that you'll have the ability to release that person and, and give them back to the Lord, right? Or you'll pray that Lord will heal them. And I was in a situation one time where this person was already uh, brain dead had no hope whatsoever except that we have a God in heaven. And this family said, I want you to pray that that person's healed. I want you to pray it right now that that person's healed. And I'm like, okay. So, Lord, we pray that you will heal Uncle Bob. And I had no faith to it whatsoever. Because of the medical component, I already knew that this was pretty much a dead case. But how many of our prayers are not backed with faith? In, in 1 John 5.14, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. But the connection is, is that we have to be praying in accordance with his will. Now, have you ever prayed a prayer that went against his will? We probably all have because we really don't know until we pray it and then see how it comes out in the wash. So we might be one of those that pray, you know what? I really believe God wants me to buy this house. God has given me this house, you know, and I know that he's going to give it to me. It's in the right dollar amount. It's in the right location. I know this is what he wants me to have. And then when you pray about it, it doesn't happen. Because God's will was not for you to live in a $950,000 home. Yeah, it's crazy the stories you hear. Or, or a $55,000 Porsche when you're right out of college, you know. But it is possible that we pray against His will. We really don't know until we get into it. Or, here's another alternative. We know His will before we pray it. If you know his will before you pray it, it might save a whole lot of trouble. I'm just going to leave that one there for you to ponder. When it comes to seeking, it says that we should go on seeking, keep seeking until we find it. Because if we seek, we will find it. Now here's some more verses for you. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. So seek his kingdom and righteousness first, then seek the peripheral things. Jeremiah 29, 13. This is a really good one. You might want to try to memorize this one between now and lunchtime. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. But here's the key. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all of your heart. Not half of it, not three quarters, but all of it. In Psalm 63, 1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now here's the crazy thing about this. We're all the people that pray. We all pray, whether it be for realistic or unrealistic or righteous or unrighteous manners or or desires. 
We're all a people who pray. But does your, does your heart and your soul thirst for him? Do you have such a, a, a desire for him that you can't function during the day if you don't spend adequate amounts of time with him? That's what he wants. He wants us to be so passionately in love with him that we can't go a day without stopping and what we're doing and just say, Lord, I've got to talk to you a minute. I need to, 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 to I need to touch home. In first Chronicles sixteen eleven, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Seek his face always. Now when you pray, an interesting phrase, do you seek his face when you pray? Is that your disposition? Is, is that your frame of mind? Is I'm seeking the face of God and when I pray, I expect to see it. And I'm going to keep praying until I see it. And then I'm going to keep praying because I've seen it. Does that come into your prayer life? That's what God desires. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to smile at you. He wants to wrap his arms around you. And if you pray... With this intensity, you will find him. And then all of a sudden, that $55,000 Porsche is insignificant. The girl that you're wanting to go out with, doesn't matter. She could come or go, but as long as I can see that face again, I will be happy. In Acts 17, 27 through 28, it says that God did this. Now let me back up a little bit and explain this. Paul is speaking to uh, the church of Athens. They are a very religious people. They do all the right things, but they also, the whole city of Athens was filled with idols. And it drove him nuts to see all these idols. They were religious people, but they weren't godly people. They weren't seeking righteousness. They weren't seeking the Lord. They were just religious, meaning it was all up here and none of it was down here. That's the difference. And so he goes to me, he said, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we Jews are his offspring. So is it possible that whatever happened in your life, the, 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 the discomfort that you had or the unanswered prayers that God did that so that you would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him? The third category is knocking. Now, you're not going to find a whole lot of verses on knocking in the Bible. There's actually, I think, six verses that talk about knocking. But one of them is talking about the knocking of the knees of the, of the king when Daniel came and told him he was about to be judged. All right, so our knees knock, but that's not what it's talking about. Knocking is another form of persistence. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an escalation of persistence. And the fact that we're not just saying anything, we're not just asking for something, but we're actually trying to get their attention. We want someone's attention and they're inside and they're not paying attention to us. So we keep knocking and keep knocking until they open that door. This should be indicative of our prayer lives. Because he says, for those who knock, the door will be open. So the, the question is, well, do I only have to knock one time? 
and then just stand there? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever been to somebody's house and you're like, well, I know they're here. So you knock one time and you're just like standing there waiting. Or, or this is even better. You push the doorbell and you don't know if it rang or not because it could be broken. And so you just like keep hitting the doorbell. No, eventually when you really want their attention, you're going to start knocking. And if somebody, if you know they're there and they're not coming to the door, then you're going to start thinking something happened. And so you're going to start knocking more feverishly. Knocking is a way of getting someone's attention. The point here is that if you feel God isn't listening to your prayers, if you feel like he isn't taking your prayer seriously, he's not answering in the way that you want, then the scripture says you need to keep knocking. Keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. Get his attention. Try shouting if you must, but do whatever it takes to get his attention. Because in that frame of, 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 of action, in that, in that participation, you're showing God just how important this is to you. But to knock one time, now I always used to be a door-to-door salesman too. You go up and you knock one time and you hope that nobody sees you. Because I really don't have time to spend with you. I want to go out and have dinner somewhere. So I really don't want you to answer. So I'm just going to barely talk. And then I say, I tried knocking. You'll tell your boss, I, I tried. I stood there for five minutes knocking on the door and nobody ever answered. I'm just revealing my own sins. I'm sure you all have never done that. Elijah, when he was on Mount Carmel, kept knocking. In, in chapter 18, verse 37 of 1 Kings, it says that he was out Mount Carmel getting ready to, to, uh, to call down the fire from heaven to consume his sacrifice in opposition to the Baal and the Asherah prophets. And he said this, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know you, O Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. But I like that, the emphatic, Answer me, God, answer me. That's somebody who's knocking on the door, and God showed up. For, uh, Samuel, on behalf of Israel, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, uh, the people said to, to Samuel, the prophet, he was their spiritual leader, do not stop crying out to the Lord for us in our behalf, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf without ceasing. He kept crying out, kept crying out, kept crying out until he got his answer from the Lord. And the Lord answered him is what it says. And then one more. And then I can rest. You can rest. In Ezra chapter 8 verse 23. Ezra was called to rebuild the, the, the temple in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was, re, was called to rebuild the temple walls or the walls of the city. And in Ezra chapter 8 23 it says this. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. If you're not real sure about how you should go about fasting or or how you should go about knocking on the door, rather, try fasting. The purpose of fasting, what it does is it puts your prayer on steroids. It makes your, your prayers a little bit more emphatic. It shows God a little that, that your heart is attached to this. This is not an idle request. This is a passionate desire. And so by fasting, you're basically saying, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to convince you that this needs to happen. And then it says that he petitioned God over and over and over without ceasing. 
He fasted and he petitioned. He put his request before God. He just kept reminding God, this is what we need. This is what we need. This is what we need. And I'm going to keep fasting until you answer this. So how should we pray? I would say just pray with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I would say pray persistently without ceasing. I would say pray fervently with passion. I would say pray with integrity and humility because God does not like the proud. Don't go into a prayer meeting telling God what he has to do for you because he'll just turn his back on you. Now, I have a list in my Bible of 10 different ways you can get God to turn his back on you. We don't necessarily have time for that today. I'll save that till another time. But the fact is that we are a people that by our prayers have the ability to grab hold of God's hand, bring him down into this community among us, and truly affect the people that live around us. We have that ability. That power is within us. We have permission and an invitation to come whenever we want. And God is waiting for us so that he can answer that prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I repent that sometimes my prayers are not fervent. Sometimes they're not persistent. Sometimes they're idle. Sometimes they're just out of, out of duty. And Father, I know that there's probably others that can relate to that. But we pray that your grace will fall upon all of us, that you will forgive us of our sin, of our weak faith, of our idleness, that you'll forgive us of the times that we didn't trust you with our prayers or the times we just um, didn't have our hearts in the right place. But we pray that you'll keep being patient with us and you'll keep teaching us and keep training us and keep answering our prayers just by being there and letting us see your face letting us feel your presence, letting us know your will, and letting us understand your scriptures, Lord. That's all we ask today. Please hear our prayers. And Lord, I pray that these prayers will never cease. In Christ we ask. Amen. We're going to...